0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lutie. Guys, let's pray. Father, it's in the name of Jesus that we approach the throne of grace. And we recognize the harassment uh, that is sure to come when you take bold steps forward to proclaim the gospel. Lord, any of us that have uh, shared the gospel with a soul understand the friction and the challenge that is inerrant in it. We understand that it is uh, a war. It is a war over souls. It is a a battle uh, for truth in a generation that seems to crave darkness more than light. And Lord, I pray that you would demonstrate your almighty right hand of deliverance. Lord, that you would work within us to make us bold to declare the gospel in this generation. I pray that you would build us in your truth. That even today as we we talk truth and we unpack your word, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would see more clearly. Lord, may you have your way in our midst. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. So uh, this is going to be a unique series that we do on Mondays, and uh, it's called the Glossary of the Gospel. And so each one of these uh, is going to have, there's I think 20 sessions that we will have, and I'll do Monday, Tuesday, I'm sorry, Monday, Wednesday, so Wednesday will be part two out of the 20 And we'll go through this, but this is going to be a collection of thoughts as if I was introducing someone to the gospel. Not to the sharing of the gospel, like as we would call, I usually call it the provenient gospel. In other words, it's the gospel that prepares their soul to say yes. But then once they enter into the kingdom, they need to grow strong in the gospel. And so you do not stop preaching the gospel simply because someone has agreed and yielded their soul and said, I understand, I need a savior. Yes, I need someone who will atone for my sin. Yes, I believe that savior is Jesus Christ. I yield. I give my life to him. Please, Lord Jesus, come and take me. Holy Spirit, move in and use this body as your own. And so, as many of us know, in the delivery of the gospel, sometimes we have gaps that remain. And it's not even always the fault of the deliverer of the gospel. It has to do sometimes with the time frame that we have in which we uh, bring the gospel to someone. It's, it's hard, you know, because we can say, well, we need to have all these things covered. And sometimes that's the case because you have time to develop it. Sometimes you have a window and you appeal to someone and maybe a very slim version of the gospel, a very thin, light version of it, but it's what the Spirit of God is using in their life to awaken them. So what we are going to do in this time is, it's almost like a new believer's class, if you want to say it that way. So, um, but you can hear it in two different lenses. If you were a new believer, you could hear it from that and say, okay, I need to understand this. For all of us that never went through that process of a foundation from literally A to Z, this is going to potentially fill in some letters. And so I think it has the potential to be extremely both intriguing and illuminating and invigorating, okay? So uh, let's get going in this. First things, that's, that's the name of my first one. I see, I have to have a title. And since I have a title of the whole series, I have to title the individual session too. first things. Not that exciting, but it's better than foundations. That's what my placeholder was, <laughs> okay? And so I need to do something other than that. So fresh off the heels of hearing the gospel, if you have just yielded your life to Jesus Christ. What do you need to know? Okay, so again, you can hear this from two different lenses. You could have just heard the gospel, or you could be dealing with the discipleship process. Someone has yielded their life to Christ, now what do you walk them through? And my first encouragement would be, heed the Holy Spirit in that, because the Holy Spirit could do it in a different order than I'm going to describe it. But these are some of the key essentials, the building blocks that make up a strong understanding of Christianity. So, the Bible, I know you've seen one of these before. This is so utterly significant in the shaping of Christianity. Now what's interesting is this is just a pile of text on some paper. In and of itself, it seems rather harmless. It's what it contains and what it points to. If I was handing you a map to buried treasure, and I said, here, this is the only way to find it. Then what you would say is, it's not the map itself that is the treasure. That map is the only way to get to the treasure. Which is why we treat this book with such veneration. Is because it is a map that leads us somewhere. And its words are very, very significant, which I'll talk about as we progress. So the gospel, in essence, is what we are communicating to a soul that is coming to Christ, they are hearing something, typically understood as the good news. The gospel, the word in the Greek is euangelion, which is rather, it's not that exciting of a word in just in and of itself. It doesn't say everything that we would assume is in the gospel. It just means a joyful proclamation of a kingdom. In other words, an army has taken over territory, has set down its standard, and then shouts and says, We won! Okay, so that's the gospel. It's good news, yes, your team won. However, how does that affect you? In other words, to understand the significance of the gospel, you have to go deeper than the word itself. You have to understand what the Bible teaches. And the Bible, in its essence, is showcasing to us the fact that there is an enemy, and this enemy has you however there is one who has come and delivered you from that enemy and set his standard down and anyone who will rally around that standard will be saved by that conqueror and so this this gospel I'm going to call it the kernel of life if you take a seed there's two parts to a seed you have the outer shell and you have an inner pith and if all you have is the outer shell if all you have is the text and you memorize it, and you dutifully study it and read it, and you know the, the Hebrew and the Old Testament, you know the Greek and the New Testament, you have something, and it's valuable, but it's sort of like having a treasure map and not going and following it and finding the treasure. The gospel is the treasure. It is the life. It is the pith inside of that shell. And so whereas the shell matters, it really does, because it protects the pith. Without that pith, you have no regenerative life and that's what the gospel is and it's not something that you just say yes and amen to yes i agree yes i believe when you first are coming into the kingdom it is literally the exercise of life that we reflect upon every day of our life you don't just eat one meal and then go and starve the rest of your life and say yes i'm healthy i ate a meal 10 years ago you wouldn't live those 10 years. And the same is true in the kingdom of heaven. If you are not feasting on the word of God, you die. And it's not just the text, it's the realities of the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel dimension. In this book, you could say, because if you know how this book is divided, it's divided in two parts. You have an old covenant and you have a new covenant. However, it's also divided into two parts in the sense that there is law and grace. There is the understanding of what you must do to be right with God, it's in here. And it stipulates it very clearly and uh, it's rather serious about it. A holy, holy, holy God has spoken and he says, to have any relationship with me, you must be perfect. You must be holy as he is holy. And it's rather intense, guys. And then you have another portion which states, and one has come who has done that on your behalf. And that is the gospel, okay? And that dimension of this book is critical because a lot of us become specialists in what we need to do. And so it's called the law. And we study this law and we say, oh, I need to live like this. And then we dig down into our own pockets and we say, what do I have? You know, how much coinage and, and dollar bills do I have to pay this incredible uh, bill that I have to live perfectly? We don't have it, which ironically is what this book says too. It says you must live this way, but you can't. So to recognize that there's two dimensions, there's which I'm going to call the biblical worldview, it states this is how you must live. And then there is a gospel worldview, which says, and this is what Jesus did for you to enable you to overcome this incredibly high hurdle. So in 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he is describing a certain breakdown of how people handle this book. And there are some that handle this book where they forget the gospel in it, and they only emphasize the law. And so they end up with a form of godliness, is what it says here, having a form of godliness. In other words, they attempt to look good on the outside. They say things, you know, like, dear brother, and hallelujah. (laughs) They say the right terms on the outside. It says, but they deny the power thereof. From such turn away. Christianity can't function if all you have is the letters in this book. You must have the treasure that it points to, and if you do not have the treasure it points to, you do not have life. So the Bible is to the Gospel. So you have this, this is called the Bible. It's a very, very important book. It's a supernaturally put together book. But this book in and of itself is like that treasure map. And so I'm going to say the Bible is to the Gospel, as a house is to those living inside of it. So if, if you were to say that uh, you have a house, and uh, if that house was threatened, what would be your grand concern? It wouldn't, even though, I mean, none of us want the house to burn down, but who would you, what would you want to get out of the house uh, if it was burning down? It wouldn't be the two by fours. It would be the people inside of it. And the same is true with this. You can lose everything, but you don't want to lose the gospel. If you go to prison and you don't have this book, the one thing you want to remember is Jesus. You want to remember what Jesus did for you. As Paul says, Jesus and him crucified. It's the very center. It's the pith of it all. It's who that man is and what he did for us. So as a house is to those living inside of it, as a shell of a seed is to the inner pith, and it does not mean that the house is bad. It's actually very, very important. If you're in negative 10 degree temperatures, you're very glad you have that house. And that's the same with the biblical framework. God gives us a framework. He gives us a form. There's nothing wrong with form. It's that you cannot deny the power that is inside that. You cannot take the pith out of the seed and expect to have new life. As a banana peel is to the banana within, I like bananas. And yet, if you were to give me a banana peel, you'd say, I thought you said you liked bananas. Yeah, but... The whole point of a banana isn't this peel. Okay, we would all agree with that. I mean, this is pathetic. What, what's this? And that's the way some people are with Scripture is, well, yeah, you have the text, you memorize it, you know it all, but you don't have Jesus. What, what's the good if you have the treasure map and you don't have the treasure? Could you imagine how long have you had that treasure map? I've had it 40 years, dear brother. So do you have the treasure? Well, no, I mean, why, why would I have the treasure? No one has the treasure. What? What's the good of a treasure map if you're not going to be a treasure hunter? Oh, that was the last one. As a treasure map is to the buried treasure it points to. The biblical form versus the gospel power. So we're going to call the biblical form, remember they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. The biblical form, the BF, not the BFF, the BF. The BF, or the biblical form, shows you how you ought to live and what happens to you if you don't. This is how you must live. And if you don't, there is eternal condemnation and separation from God Almighty. Whoa! You know, a lot of people don't like Christianity because that's what they think Christianity is. You know why God gives us the law? You know why he gives us the biblical form? It's a schoolmaster is what the Bible says. It's like a tutor. It's a teacher that leads us somewhere. It's like, what are you struggling with right now? I'm struggling with the fact that I can't do this. Uh Uh-huh. And you need someone who can do it for you. You see, it's a schoolmaster which leads us to Jesus Christ. You see, the law instructs the soul that we are sinners, that we have need of a savior. It's actually good. But by itself, it's death. Without the gospel, I mean, the law just kills. There's no life there. So the GP, the gospel power, shows you the one and only one that actually lived as the BF commands you to live, and then introduces you to this one as your personal savior. So I'm gonna divide this into, like, look at this first one. It says, you must not sin, and then there's a divider, and then it says, he conquered sin. The first is the biblical form. So when we, I hold up this book and I say, this is where we start. You need to know how to rightly divide the scriptures. And if you're going to rightly divide the scriptures, you need to be able to discern the difference between the form and the power. And you need to emphasize the gospel. There is nothing wrong with the text. It's just that the text is there to lead you to the power, to lead you to the person, to lead you to the treasure. So if you just have this and you don't follow it to its end and where it leads you, you are a hearer of the word and not a doer you must not sin you know that's a fact however we're in trouble if that's all we have guys okay every single one of us is deserving of eternal separation condemnation because of this just one thing i mean i just started the list and boom we're done you must not sin it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god every single one of us is under a just due penalty of law however what does the gospel say he conquered sin. And that's when we get a little giggle in our throat. We're like, oh, that's great. This is amazing. You must be righteous. Fact. That's what this book tells you. However, what else does this book tell you? He is indeed our righteousness. Yes. You must be holy just as God is holy. That's a fact, guys. The Holy Spirit has been given you. Whew. Oh, wow. I don't know if any of you have just tried to be holy, but it's hard work. We have the Holy Spirit. The very holiness of God is given to us to live inside of us, to take these bodies and make them work. You must love just as God loves. That's a heavy-duty calling, guys, yet it's in here. You must love just as God loves. Good luck. You see, that is a tutor to you to say, God, I can't do that. I know, but I can You see, everything in this book will lead you to the you can't and he can. That is how we rightly divide. You must love just as God loves, but God is love and he will love in and through you. You must pray without ceasing. Boy, that's a heavy burden. He ever lives to make intercession. The very one who lives inside of you is ever and always connected to the throne room of grace. You must evangelize the lost. He has come to seek and save that which is lost. You must visit the orphan and the widow in their distress. His heart will beat within your heart. So that you, have you ever had that thought? It's like, I don't really care about those that are persecuted in chains because the Bible tells us to remember them. It's like, eh. Ah. And then it talks about you know, looking in on the widow and the orphan and the widow in their distress. It's like, eh, yeah, I have things to do. I have burdens in my own life. You allow God to move inside. You allow him to take this life, to overpower you with the power of the gospel. And what happens? That's the sound of a heart beating, by the way, even though some of you are like, what is that? (laughs) That's God's heart now beating within your heart. And suddenly you care about things you never cared about before. You care about the orphan. You care about the widow. You care about the persecuted church. You care about the lost and dying. Where's that coming from, people? That's coming from God. You try and whip that heartbeat up yourself, you will never find it. The gospel supplies the power to do it. So if I'm going to introduce someone to the life of Christianity, what do I want to start with? I want to teach them that they have a treasure map and that they need to get to know it. But when they are studying it, I want to teach them what they are going after. They are digging for treasure. They're going after treasure. They're a treasure hunter. Who is the treasure? It's Jesus. Throughout this entire book, there is one thing you want to find. In every page, you want to find treasure you want to find Jesus but what you're also finding is in essence what the Bible calls the gospel not just the text not just the form not just the what you're supposed to do but how you do it you do it by grace he gives you the power to live this life as a Christian you can't live this life it is too difficult for a human to do but he has lived it, and he still lives it, and he desires to live it in us. Gospel. Gospel realities. It's the power to do it. So heeding the book. I know a lot of you have been through Ellerslie, so you've heard me share this 100, 200 times. So it's not a shock to you, but you have to remember, we're, we're laying foundations, and I want you to see where I put an illustration like this in a process of understanding Christianity. Because most of us, when we enter Christianity, we have emotion, feelings, experiences. Great Aunt Martha was a Christian, she was weird. Okay, so we have stuff. Baggage is what you could call it, okay? so. Fact, faith, and experience is what I'll typically call it. Fact, there's three characters fact, faith, and experience, and they're all called to walk a ridgepole of a barn. And I know that doesn't sound impossible, but this particular barn is impossible to walk the ridgepole of. It's like a razor's edge, okay? And the first character, fact, gets out there and just walks it. I know it's a terrible story when you say something's impossible, then the first character goes out and does it. But fact, to us as Christians, is truth. The difference between truth and fact is truth, to us as Christians, is a person. It's not just a collection of data. However, it's important sometimes for us to remember that truth and fact are related. And that's why we use the term fact, because it helps a reset in our mind to recognize that what God says in his word is actually fact. It is concrete. It is able to be built upon like rock foundation. And this fact, this truth is a person known as Jesus Christ. And he got up and pulled off the impossible. He did it. Whoa, that's impossible to do and he just did it. Now here's where a Christian comes in. A Christian comes in as a second character, faith. Faith when the soul of a Christian gazes upon fact and watches fact walk and just follows fact. As fact walks, they walk. You know what happens? They gain balance and they walk the ridge Bowl. They pull off the impossible and life would be easy and Christianity would be simple if that was all there was. But there is a little noise going on behind you with the third character and his, his name is experience. There's a lot of other names you could give him. Emotion uh, is a classic one. How do you feel about it, says the culture or says the devil, how do you feel? Well, I don't feel like that looks very safe to go in that direction. I don't want to look funny to the world. I mean, to walk in this direction, to follow Jesus, I mean, it leads into all sorts of things. The guy, Jesus, ended up on a cross, guys, hanging naked, a bloody pulp, dying. Okay, can you see why there'd be a little emotion that might hesitate and go, I'm not sure if I really want to go that direction. Here's the secret to Christianity. You can't listen to, to experience you can't listen to emotion and let it lead you you have to be led by this this book is our secret and it's not just a book it's a man but it's not just a man it's a god man jesus christ is god himself come to this earth to walk out an impossible life and he says follow me And when we fix our gaze on him, we gain balance. Now, does God care about our experience and our emotions? He does. He just doesn't want us following them. You see, the secret to having your emotions and your experience gain balance and walk the impossible life is you have to ignore them. You can't let them be a lead instrument. You have to heed the facts. You have to heed the truth no matter what it says and no matter where it takes you. And if you do that, you will find that experience will gain balance. Emotion will gain balance. And you will be able to pull off the impossible. Your experience will demonstrate to all this world around you, there is a God in heaven. So the glossary of the gospel, all that to say, to get to this. An overview of where we are going. So what I want to do, and I don't know how many glossary words we're going to go through, and I'm going to have to go through them extremely quick. These little daily thunders are little micro-messages, and you know me. I, I, you know that I had a message once uh, in church uh, one Sunday morning. I think it was 28 pages long, size 10 font, uh, I can, and that was cut down, guys, okay? I had my first uh, edition of the message canon. If any of you have ever heard the message canon, was six hours long, so... This is hard for me, guys. <laughs> I am so passionate about the content here that to I feel like I'm skimming. At the same time, the goal is to introduce, not to dig deep necessarily. This is an introductory uh, concept, so I'm telling myself that. I'm not just telling you. I'm telling myself that. Eric, this is an introductory course. So if I'm going to introduce you to how Christianity functions, you've already noticed I've given some key things. I said this book matters. Knowing what's in this book is huge. Getting familiar with this book, if you're talking to a basketball player, the coach is going to come in front of you with a basketball. He says, you sleep with it. You eat with it. You walk around all day with it. You dribble it around. You get familiar with it. This needs to be your friend. You need to be more familiar with this than anything else in the world. We're not playing basketball, guys. We're playing Christianity. This is what we do, and this is how we get to the treasure." You see, this is our map. Our great aim in this life is to not just win a Bible quiz and to have this memorized. Believe me, I'm not against it. I don't mind you winning every Bible quiz out there. But I want you, if you know this truth, to live it. The devil isn't concerned about you memorizing this book from front to back if you don't live it. What he's concerned about is you living one sentence of this out in real life. But this book has a theme, and it is an overriding theme. It's an undergirding theme. Everything about this book centers around one person. His name is Jesus. And so when you handle this book, if you want to rightly handle this book, you need to know what it is speaking about. It is speaking about what that one man, Jesus, and what that one man is going to do, technically, and what he's still going to do. In other words, this is about him. So as Christians, our life needs to be about him. We call it the centrality of Jesus Christ. John Dunce, uh, do you ever heard the term dunce, like a dunce Mm cap? John Dunce uh, was considered the smartest man, this is where the term dunce came from, back in the Middle Ages, Uh, and even for 400 years after his death, he was considered one of the top five intellects in all of world history. So what happened? (laughs) Poor guy. 400 years after his death, he was still considered brilliant. You know that he wore a pointy hat, which is sort of awkward, but he wore a pointy hat, but it was like a finger pointing upward. And it was declaring where all true knowledge and understanding comes from. He called it the primacy of Christ. He said, if you want to know how to properly use this mind, you build all intellect, all academic pursuit, and all understanding around Jesus Christ christ yep and that's why after the enlightenment period they began to stick all dunces all of his followers in the corner of the classroom with the dunce hat on and mocked him so that's why i have a book called the bold return of the dunces because i believe that all true knowledge understanding everything that matters comes from him so key terms for the day boy. The Bible, God, which we're going to define as uh, three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sin, the devil, temptation, conviction, and condemnation. Now, how in the world can I go through these blazing fast? The Bible, made up of 66 books, written by over 40 authors, like over 400 years, 1400 years. I mean, this is This is a miracle book. It's supernatural. There are so many things about this book. I mean, I I have a message called 10 Simple Proofs that goes through and, and shows you how supernatural this book is. It is not like Homer's Iliad. It is not like Aristotle's writings. This is unlike any book that has ever been compiled. It is compiled supernaturally. The Bible itself says that the Holy Spirit carried along the writers of it to actually write out what was written. In other words, the words in this book are not just the words of men. Though they were written down by men's hands, they are the word of God. Which, when you recognize that as a Christian, changes your life. Because if this is just the writings of good men, well, you take it as the writings of good men. But there's writings of good men out there. Hey, I've written 28 books, well, at least with Leslie, we've written a lot. However, what am I going to say about my books compared to this? Don't read them if they're going to block the way to this. This is the book you want to know. This is the book you want to read. My books stink. This book is perfect. That's in contrast. I'm not actually saying my books stink. They could be pretty good. You might want to read one. (laughs) However, this is the book of books. God. So in the very beginning, it says, Let us create man in our image. It's like, what a strange statement. This, this name for God, Elohim, is plural. It's, it's really odd to even comprehend a God that is one and is plural. And that's called the Trinity. That's the way that we as Christians have described it. But what we see in this Bible is it breaks down three distinct personalities that function as one. They are one in what they do. However, they have three functions, three personalities. And so we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in this Son would have life. Remember that power? Remember that vroom that God brings about? Mm -hmm. When you believe in Jesus and the work that that one man did. Remember, this book is all about that Son. So the Father so loved that he gave us this He gave us his son, he gave us redemption, he gave us everything that we need for life, for salvation, for the eternal communion with him. The son gave us a gift of gifts. He says, it's better that I go to be with the father. So he has died, he's been buried, he rose again on the third day just as he promised, and then he ascends to be with the father. He's like, hey, no, no, don't go, don't go. He says, it's better because I'm gonna give you something. I'm gonna give you a helper. going to give you the Holy Spirit. It's God. God, not on the outside of man talking to us and teaching us as Jesus did, but now it's like Jesus moving inside. And when we as Christians open up the door of our life, God moves in. That's why Christians are called the body of Christ, because now this is his body. These are his hands for him to do with. What would God do with your hands if he controlled them? That's Christianity. What would God look at with these eyes if he was inside of you and he was controlling you? That's Christianity. What would God be thinking in this mind if he, if he was housed in this body and he was in control? That's Christianity. What would God be burdened for with this heart? Where would these feet go? Mm-hmm. You can say, what would these lips speak? It's Christianity. We are the body of Christ. We are no longer our own. We are bought with a price. Jesus has gained us. We are his reward And that is fully realized by the Holy Spirit moving inside and living in here. Sin. A lot of people think of sin as sort of a black ooze, when in actuality, it's a disposition, it's a state of rebellion. You see, there is like a throne in our life, and it is meant for God alone. It is a position of control and decision. And when we sit there, we are in sin when we step off of it and we yield it to jesus christ and bend our knee we recognize what it means to be free from sin you see before jesus we couldn't get off that throne we're like super glued down you pick it up and it's still stuck to you (laughs) however with the shed blood of jesus when we believe in him it's like that super glue melts away and we are free to now yield to him our life we are free from the control and the bondage of sin You see, what comes out of us sitting in that throne are what are called sins. And so sins, the word is hamarti. It's like an archery term. So I'm shooting, I'm aiming at an arrow, and it misses. In fact, it goes straight up and lands on someone. You see, sin harms people. You're missing God's purpose for your life. God intended you to reveal him, to showcase the life of Jesus, to have this body be controlled by him. It's not. It's controlled by you. It's controlled by sin. As a result, it's revealing something completely other than God. Hamartia. you are committing sins. Why? Because of sin. So we need to step down as Christians. So when we enter into the kingdom of heaven, one of the first things that needs to happen is we need to feel the tap on our shoulders: "Is step down, yield your life, yield that throne." The devil. So, as the story goes, there was a character known as we're guessing his name was proper name was Lucifer. If we're putting all the pieces together uh, scripturally. And that he was quite a mighty character. Many people have thought that maybe he was in charge of the worship in the kingdom of heaven. The worship of God, Jehovah. And yet, something entered into this one known as the devil. Known as Satan. Known as Lucifer. Known as the ruler of death. Known as uh, the accuser of the brethren. He has all sorts of names throughout scripture. But he rebels. It says he sinned. And he was cast out of the mountain of God. And... He's up to no good, that is one thing we do know. He's an adversary, which is what Satan means. He's an adversary, he is opposite God. What God desires to do, he desires to contradict. God desires to bring good, God desires to bring love. This devil is a thief. He is one who has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And so he is clearly revealed in this book. And he's also shown to us as one that is defeated at the cross. So therefore, though he is more powerful than any of us in our natural state, he's not more powerful than Jesus. And so when we enter into Jesus and believe him, we have authority and power over this devil. Temptation. It says in scripture that God does not bring temptation. Temptation is what the devil will do and he will bring. And he's very good at it. He's been doing this for 6,000 years but he will entice a certain dimension of who you are, known as your flesh or your natural man. And so as you come to Christ, you are putting off your first way of living, and you're putting on a new creature, is what it's called, a new man. And yet your old man, sort of like if you entered into a plane, you would be under the law of aerodynamics, and you're flying, even though gravity is still pressing down. Similar in Christianity, that when you enter into Christ by faith, you're functioning under a higher law, and you have protection. But on the outside of the windows of the plane, you hear a little tap that says, hey, why don't you come for a jump? Why don't you experience gravity for a little bit again? You see, it's a constant pull downward. And as Christians, you are given the weapons to properly address temptation, to actually say no and to resist it, whereas before Christ, you didn't have that same capacity. But now you do, however, as a Christian, we also have the ability, if we yield to temptation, we allow the devil in, and we find ourselves yielding to that gravitational downward pull, to repent and to apply the shed blood of Christ and receive forgiveness, and to immediately be established in a strong position again. Conviction. I'm going to tie these last two in together. Conviction and condemnation. Conviction and condemnation are two things that we will oftentimes deal with as Christians but they're two very different things and they come from two different, very source, two different, two very different sources. Conviction comes from God. This side of your life, when you're still breathing, from God you will receive conviction. From the devil, this side of life, while you're still breathing, you'll receive condemnation. And so you need to know how to divide those out. Conviction, it's like if you were walking towards the edge of a cliff and you had a fog bank in front of you. You don't know where you're walking. You don't realize that the way you're walking is gonna to lead to your death and your destruction. So imagine that God blows the fog bank away and you recognize that you've been wrong. And you've wasted 10 years of your life walking in the wrong direction. How do you feel? Yeah, you're not so good. <laughs> However, how do you feel? You don't feel good, but you're actually appreciative of the fact that someone loves you enough to convict you of the fact that you were headed in the wrong direction. Why? Because he loves you. You see, conviction always offers hope. God convicts because he wants to save. So if you ever feel conviction, which is very normal, and you hang out in Christianity, there's going to be that sting in your soul where you recognize you're wrong. The best thing to do in that situation is to agree with it. Say, thank you, Lord. Because he is rescuing you from destruction. He's rescuing you from damage, from harm. There's another thing called condemnation. Condemnation says you have no hope. Look at how you've been walking for the last 10 years. You think God wants someone like that in his kingdom? You might as well just keep in fact it wants to shove you off. That comes from the devil. The devil is always going to say there's no hope. God won't forgive that. You've sinned too many times. He always wants to put the weight of burden to stick that sin that Christ has removed back on your shoulders. That isn't Christ. So to discern this in your forward movement, to recognize the distinction between those is very, very important. God loves you too much to allow you to just go off and die. Satan wants you to go off and die, okay? Satan is against God's agenda in your life, but God wants to save you. He wants to rescue. He doesn't just wanna save you in a capital S sense from hell. He wants to save you from the misery of life that comes with living it wrong. He wants to save you from your selfishness. You know how selfishness will destroy a marriage and destroy a family? It just kills it. He wants to save you from that so you can have a world-class marriage, world-class family. Why not? He wants to save you from you being the lead instrument in your life. So he will convict you, but it's because he loves you. So as we're finishing up today, I want to remind you of something. And all through the glossary of the gospel, I'm always going to have this reminder. As you pursue Christ... You need to recognize the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And I want to press that over and over and over and over again. As a new believer, when you come to Christ, you need to recognize that there is an action step that is taken. It's like you're connected with a pipeline to the heavenlies the moment you believe in Jesus. But then there's a gate valve that you need to open. You need to receive the life of God inside of you. So Jesus says, hey, ask the Father. Ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. He'll give it, guaranteed. Because you are in Christ, you are now privileged to ask the Father in the name of Jesus for that life, for that power, for that very presence of God to live inside of you. Don't delay, guys. It's the necessity. If you wanna live this out, it's not just head knowledge, it's the life of God in you. So every day I'm gonna give a key exercise Now, this one isn't really an exercise. It's more of a preparatory idea for exercising. But daily devotional practice. You see, a lot of Christians have messed up in the fact that they think that studying their Bible, reading their Bible, praying, is what makes them a Christian. No, Uh, it is part of what strengthens them in their Christianity. And that's why devotional exercise is important. But a lot, of people, a lot of us have a tendency to say, God, I'm good with you, right, because I had my prayer time. No, I'm good with God because I'm in Christ. And so that's where I want to abide and I want to remain. However, if I truly love Christ, I want to grow closer to him. It's sort of like being married Say, okay, we're married, right? All right, and then God says, you might want to talk to her. It's like, why do I need to do that? I'm married, I have a certificate right here. It's like, well, because that's what makes life beautiful. <laughs> that's what brings about intimacy. Isn't that the whole point of what we're doing here? And so in Christ, we are now invited in, but we need to begin to exercise this relationship. And so with every day of this, I'm going to go through and give devotional practice that actually is an exercise of soul, which brings about intimacy and closeness with the creator of the heavens and the earth. I mean, okay, guys, if, if I seem a little excited about this, if you got into my skin and knew how amazing this is, you'd understand why I'm excited. It's impossible not to be happy when you know Jesus Christ. He changes you in every regard. All right, guys. Uh, We're gonna transition uh, into a time of prayer. And there's something specific I would like to pray for And that is a continuation of what took place this weekend. And I would like those of you that were at the weekend to be praying that even this week, this would continue in your lives when you go home and in our church here. I have a burden for our church, and I know anyone from our church here has a similar burden, where we desire a fire to not just be like, Flickering, Because we have that. We're, we're an amazing church. There's just no doubt about it. We're just an extraordinary church. But there's something that we desire. It's like the wind of the Spirit to blow upon that. Where it gets so hot that we cannot keep our mouths shut. Have you ever had a season in your life where you find yourself everywhere you go, you, you need to talk about Jesus? Have you had other seasons where everywhere you go, you really... You don't feel like it's the right time, and you don't really feel like this would be awkward. There's a whole line behind me, and I don't really want to sit. It's it's a subtle shift that can happen, and it's the way this culture works on us. You can't speak. Don't speak. That, That isn't appreciated. People don't want to hear. That would be offensive to them. However, when that fire is burning, you remember what matters more. You remember that though the culture isn't asking for it, they need it. And for us in here, I want us to have that flame stirred and blown upon. So that's one key thing I want to pray for. Uh, I'd love for us to be praying for this new beginning. Whenever you have a new beginning, like for instance, all of this last week, Leslie has a foot injury, Leslie had a terrible head cold. Uh, she, uh, Dub, uh, had a migraine last night, threw up twice. This morning, we were all going to be here this morning. This is a huge thing for us as a family. And Leslie had a migraine last night. Uh, And so Dub has a migraine, then she has a migraine. So Leslie has a foot injury, a head cold, and a migraine. Okay, so you, you can see the battle in this. And I have a hunch if my home is experiencing that, that there could be some others that relate to that. In other words, I would like to stand for our body That there would be protection as we pursue whatever we would call this. It's a deeper oomph, a greater power, a greater strength, a greater growl. I think you guys know what I mean. A stronger fire where the fire is burning. And we cannot keep our mouths shut. How could I keep my mouth shut? We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That person doesn't. When you've been changed by this gospel, when you see the beauty of it, it ravishes your soul and you want to share it. We do that with movies all the time. People will talk about the Avengers movie. So have you seen it? Oh, it's so good. It's like, come on. Come on, have you seen Jesus? Yeah, but Jesus isn't cool like the Avengers movie. You see? And so we end up keeping our mouths shut. We can't do that. So let's pray for that boldness for the Holy Spirit to shake the room in which we're in, and we would be filled with the spirit of boldness to go into this world and to speak what we know. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.